Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onelen Zinzi and Tabisolo Hoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. The South African president urges everyone to assist in the fight to stop gender-based violence. The resumption of cooperation between the DRC and the USA received warmly. And in economics news, Botswana's rough diamond exports plunged 68% in second quarter of the year. But first up, the news with Onel Nzinti. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. Malawi has shut bars and churches and new restrictions to limit the alarming spread of coronavirus three months after a court blocked the government from imposing a full lockdown. Since the first positive case was detected on April 2nd, confirmed cases have nearly doubled over the past four weeks to hit over 4,624, including 143 deaths as of Saturday. Malawi had not been placed under lockdown after a court in April blocked the government from enforcing a full lockdown because it had failed to announce any measures to cushion the vulnerable. South Africa has recorded an increase of 198 new COVID-19-related deaths, bringing the cumulative numbers of, of deaths to 10,408. This while the number of infections has increased by 6,670 new coronavirus infections, bringing the total number of infections to 559,858. Zole Gakotashe has Of the almost 200 deaths, the Eastern Cape recorded the highest number of fatalities at 80, followed by Guazun-Nadal with 63, Gauteng with 32 and the Western Cape with 23. Meanwhile, of the over 6,000 new coronavirus infections in the country, the Western Cape has recorded an increase of 371, placing it on the brink of the 100,000 mark, as the province records 99,959 total cases. Large crowds have been demonstrating in the center of the Lebanese capital in Beirut, demanding accountability for Tuesday's huge explosion in the city. More than 150 people died, 5,000 injured, and another 60 people still missing. The cause of the explosion still isn't completely clear, but it's been claimed it was the result of a fire lighting a huge deposit of ammonium nitrate in a potentially volatile chemical substance. The Lebanese president said an investigation into the devastating explosion has not ruled out that it could have been caused by a rocket or a bomb. Police in Washington, D.C. say one teenager has been shot dead and about 20 others injured after a gunman opened fire on an outdoor social gathering. Videos posted on social media show people socializing shoulder to shoulder at a Sunday cookout. The police chief in the U.S. capital, Peter Newsham, says police are looking for at least three shooters. He also criticized people for gathering and ignoring social distancing restrictions. There was a large gathering. There were certainly way too many people out here. Uh, you know, with COVID-19, it was a huge gathering. There was music being played. Uh, there's an indication that some, some food was being served, so it was some kind of a social gathering. And what happened was there was some kind of dispute, and uh, multiple uh, gunshots were, I mean, weapons were produced, and multiple shots were fired. And as a result, we have uh, 20 people that have been shot. Australia has reported 19 COVID-19-related deaths in the past 24 hours, the country's highest for a single day so far. All the deaths were recorded in the state of Victoria, which is now in a second week of a strict lockdown. Australia has recorded over 21,000 coronavirus cases and 313 COVID-19-related deaths since the start of the outbreak. The BBC's Falmaka. Despite more deaths and hundreds of new cases in the past day, 
Health officials believe Australia's toughest coronavirus lockdown is beginning to work. They expect to see infections fall substantially in the next week. The psychological impact of the pandemic in the state of Victoria is also emerging. The number of patients seeking mental health treatment in hospital has increased by almost a quarter. Lastly, looking at your sports, MotoGP Czech Grand Prix winner Brand, uh, Bender says his dream of scoring a premier class victory coming in just his third race is scary. The South African stunned uh, Beno by charging on the front of the Czech GP on lap 13 to score his first MotoGP victory and by a dominant margin of by 5.2 seconds. MotoGP rookie showed great pace during a practice in qualifying for the two Jerez races last month, but two mistakes ruled him out of possible podium contention. Now the first rookie winner since Mac Marquis in 2013, Bender was left stunned by the results. How good you are, but you're still stunned. You stunned the motorcycle world. How does it feel to win MotoGP? Honestly, right now I'm lost for words. Uh, this is a day I've dreamed, dreamed about since I was a little boy, and gosh, today it came true. So. It's amazing to win my first Grand Prix. I really wish my parents were here because they're the ones that backed me from the beginning. And uh, thank you to everybody that supported me to get here. It's a dream come true. And um, I can't thank my team enough. They put an absolutely insane motorbike underneath me this weekend. I had no idea we were capable of winning, but I had a feeling it could be good. And uh, hats off to my guys. They did the most unbelievable job. And thank you to everyone at home for supporting me. And uh, I hope this is the start to many more. Congratulations. Thank you. Channel African News, I am Onelin Sinsi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Onele. It is 7.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. South Africa is in the grip of two pandemics, COVID-19 and gender-based violence. This was lamented by President Sil Ramaphosa as part of his address to the nation on Women's Day. Ramaphosa said that the lived reality for millions of South African women is at odds with the promises contained in the Constitution and said that the opportunity exists to build a country where women's rights are not negotiable, Wusichimambe reports. President Cyril Ramaphosa has described the sad state of affairs regarding gender-based violence. Ever more women and children are being abused and losing their lives at the hands of men. It cannot be that this Women's Day is drenched in the tears of families who have lost their sisters, their daughters and mothers to violence that is perpetrated by South African men. This cannot continue. We can no longer as a nation ignore the deafening cries of women and children for protection, for help and for justice. Ramaphosa says significant progress has been made in supporting survivors from increasing the number of shelters and care centers to improving the capacity of police to deal with the scourge. He, however, said that enabling women to become financially independent will reduce their vulnerability, saying government will set aside up to 40% of public procurement for women-owned businesses. The first action is to expand the access of women to economic opportunities. We will do this, amongst other things, by setting aside up to 40% of public procurement for women-owned businesses. We now expect national departments in government to monitor and to report on how many women have participated in each public procurement process. They will have to develop clear plans on how they will broaden women's participation over the next 12 months. Ramaphosa also spoke of the need to give women greater access to productive assets such as land to ensure their economic inclusion. He says government will engage the financial sector to make funding affordable and accessible to small and micro businesses, as well as those in the informal sector. 
It will also ensure that the land reform process favors all historically disadvantaged people, including women. Of the 75 million rand in COVID-19 relief earmarked for farming input vouchers, 53% of the beneficiaries will be rural women. We must ensure that women, subsistence and small-scale farmers continue to receive support beyond the lockdown that we are going through now. At the same time, we will be calling on the African Union member states to put policies in place to increase women's ownership of land to 30%. The president says South Africa has joined Generation Equality, a global campaign to achieve gender equality by 2030. The country will be part of coalitions focused on economic justice and rights and gender-based violence and femicide. He says the campaign will give the country an opportunity to find solutions to gender inequality. That report by Busi Chimombe. Most of the Democratic Republic of Congo's people have saluted the resumption of security cooperation between the USA and their country. The resumption was announced this week by the U.S. Army, emphasizing the DRC officers will start getting international training in the USA. Some Congolese believe Washington should also use the opportunity to set up the U.S. Africa Command, well known as AFRICOM headquarters. It has been denied for long by former President Joseph Kabila. Januel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. The resumption of security cooperation between USA and DRC has followed the progress both President Felix Tshisekedi's administration and the DRC army have made for security forces professionalism and human rights respect. That's indeed what General James Vettery, the AFRICOM deputy commander, wrote in a letter he sent to this country's president. According to the letter, DRC officers will start getting international training in the USA as from today. The USA Army's decision has been saluted here. Mohamed Boule is an MP who's also a former Deputy Minister of Defense and a retired Army General. I personally believe this resumption of military cooperation will offer so many opportunities in terms of restructuring our army as well as equipment to secure and neutralize armed groups destabilizing our country. The USA government has then decided to resume such a cooperation after years of high-tended relations with former President Joseph Kabila, who always opposed the U.S. Africa command to set up its headquarters here. The relations have improved more than a year ago following President Felix Tshisekedi's inauguration. Most of people here believe this might push Washington to use the opportunity and set up the AFRICOM headquarters in the DRC. Once more, this MP, who's also a former Deputy Minister of Defense and a retired Army General, explains... Mohamed Boule. As it's the USA that requested AFRICOM headquarters set up in our country, the USA have now to use this military cooperation to revive the matter. The Democratic Republic of Congo is now on level two of the USA annually report surveillance list as far as human trade is concerned, a position for which the deputy commander of the US Africa Command, James Secretary has congratulated President Felix Tshisekedi. So the USA have recognized the DRC government's efforts to fight against the human trade, but there is still a lot to be done, according to this analyst from the study group on the Congo, Trezor Kibangula. The DRC army has continued to back the renewed NDC, which is the main armed group operating in the Kivu, where it's accused of recruiting child soldiers. We think that only a security system deep reform could bring the DRC to level one. Meanwhile, AFRICOM troops are part of operations underway to track Ugandan rebels of Lord Assistance Army, the LRA, in the northeastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. 
Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided that all public schools should take a break for the next four weeks. Now, this has also been the experience in a number of other countries where schools have opened and have also had to close due to the circumstances that each country has had to confront. This means that schools will be closed from the 27th July and will reopen on the 24th of August. Channel Africa. For your latest on the novel coronavirus disease for Channel Africa, Amoki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth. Hands touch many surfaces and can pick up viruses. At 7.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. A young policewoman goes beyond the call of duty to serve and protect the inhabitants of South Africa. Mapaseka Magitikiti is an award-winning woman in different categories. She went on to win Best South African Police Service Woman of the Year Award for the year 2019-2020 at both the district and provincial levels. She was born and raised in Everton on the Val more than three decades ago. Ditaba Zotezi spoke to this incredible woman and found this Mapaseka Makitikiti joined the South African Police Service in 2007 as a police reservist. Through her career as a crime fighter, she acquired a number of policing skills such as dealing with domestic violence, vulnerable children, sexual offences, youth and children at risk. She takes us through her career. I'm working as a social crime prevention coordinator at Buibadon Police Station also a sign language coordinator at the provincial level. My work consists mainly of engaging with the community, doing crime and safety awarenesses, school talks, motivating learners and promoting crime-free schooling environment. Having realized the language barrier between deaf community and the rest of society, she took it upon herself to study South African Sign Language at the Vez University in Johannesburg. She is interpreting for victims of crime in courts of law. Ever since joining SAPS, I have been on a mission to develop myself academically and personally. I studied South African Sign Language at Vez Language School. This has also given hope to deaf schools who were raising concerns that they were neglected by SAPS. I've gone as far as creating disability forum, but it, it is mostly consisting of the deaf people. We've created a platform where they are sharing their experiences and challenges they faced with during their visits at the police stations. Magetikiti has also adopted 10 girls with her pet girl project, providing them with sanitary towels, among other things, in her community of Bipadong Township near Fandabil Park on the Val. She has also inspired some members in the community to help the project financially. I realized that there were girls that are less fortunate to even afford to buy sanitary towels. I took it upon my shoulders to assist them by starting the Pet a Girl project, whereby every month, out of my pocket, I buy them sanitary towels and toiletries. And I'm proud to say, as of next month, we will be catering for 10 more girls, which will bring the total number to 20 recipients. She's an award-winning police officer with many accolades in her name, even though there are challenges as a policewoman. My hard work and dedication was recognized by my superiors, SAPS management, who honored me with awards. I further scooped first runner-up award for Best Woman of the Year at the national level. Mapaseka Makitikiti's vision is to see sign language included in the police service learning programs as this will enable police officers to be conversant with the language. Amdi Tabasotezi in Johannesburg. 
Police in South Africa had to use stun grenades to disperse protesters outside the Zimbabwean embassy in Pretoria on Friday. Zimbabweans living in the country, together with organizations like Zimbabwean Lives Matter, the Not In My Name movement and Zimbabwean African People's Union, gathered to protest against their perceived inaction of South Africa in the face of human rights abuses in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe has recently cracked down on protesters, accusing government of corruption and economic mismanagement. Several people, including journalists and award-winning authors, have been arrested. And videos are circulating on social media of people being beaten by the police and the army. Lila Machnas reports. The protest started peacefully in front of the Zimbabwean embassy in Pretoria. A Zimbabwean in diaspora, who gave his name as Jabulani and didn't want to give his surname, says the last time he fought for human rights was against apartheid. You would think that after 40 years, Zimbabweans, as educated as they are, they would be way far much better than South Africa in terms of their human development and their quality of life. But here we are, working as gardeners, security guards and, and car guards with our university degrees. And it's quite something that we, we don't know why, what could close the eyes and the minds of our leaders to a point where they don't see this as an, a serious issue. Police on the scene claimed the protesters didn't have the necessary permission to protest in front of the embassy. The protesters, however, insisted on being heard. We want to address this issue here, right now. The embassies, we are going to address this issue here and right now, leadership. We, as the people of Zimbabwe, want to address it here and right now. If they want to kill us, they can kill us. You are given an opportunity. You are given an opportunity to speak. We also want to speak. If they want to kill us, they must kill us. You are given an opportunity to speak. We also want to speak. The Secretary-General of the Not In My Name movement, Temba Masangu, insisted they had permission, but the parties could not come to an agreement and the police tried to disperse the group. The small group moved from the embassy to nearby streets and later dispersed. A Zimbabwean woman who wanted to stay anonymous says they feel as though they are being persecuted here just like in Zimbabwe. The same prosecution that we face at home is the same thing that is happening here. If you can see that people in Zimbabwe, they don't have the freedom. Every time when they go to the streets to express their views, police, soldiers, the kind, it's something that we're expressing, we're experiencing here. We haven't said anything because we had speakers that were supposed to speak and represent all sectors, and the very same police that are suppressing others at home are suppressing us. So nothing has been said, nothing has been done. Our voice is still suppressed. Our rights are still being not recognized. The youth leader of the Zimbabwean African People's Union, Lloyd Ndeweni, says South Africa has been too quiet for too long regarding the human rights abuses in Zimbabwe. Whilst they had to comment about George Floyd who lives oceans away, yes. why are they quiet about our own people that are being murdered yeah. every yeah. day and killed in Zimbabwe? Yeah. The AU and SATAC needs to become a proper organization and not be a gentleman's club. Yeah. They have to yeah. tell the truth as it is. No sweeping the issues under the ground. We want that government dissolved. We want a transitional authority running Zimbabwe until elections are run, proper elections. President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that former government minister Sidney Mufamadi and former National Assembly speaker Baleka Ambete have been appointed as special envoys to Zimbabwe to identify ways South Africa can assist that country overcome its problems. I am Lila Magnus in Pretoria. A former leader of South Africa's opposition, Ingata Freedom Party, and Member of Parliament, Prince Mangosutu Wutelezi, has tested positive for COVID-19. In a statement, the family says he is asymptomatic and that a capable team will keep a close watch on him while he is in self-isolation. The presiding officers of Parliament and some political parties say they wish Wutelezi a speedy recovery, as Mercedes Percent reports. 
The family statement says, and I quote, We the family of Prince Mangosu Tubutelezi, founder and president emeritus of the IFP, Inkosi of the Butelezi clan and traditional prime minister to the Zulu monarch and nation, wish to advise that Umtuana Wakwa Pindangene has tested positive for COVID-19. Earlier this week, he was informed that he had been in contact with a positive case and he thus took the precautionary measure of being tested, despite displaying no symptoms himself. Closed quotes. The family says Prince Butelezi is now self-isolating at home for the mandatory period. They say they are pleased that he remains asymptomatic and is in good spirits at this stage. National Assembly Speaker Tandi Mudise and NCOP Chairperson Amos Masondo wished him a speedy recovery on behalf of all presiding officers of parliament. Spokesperson Moloto Motapo. Umtwana Waka Pindangen is one of the longest serving members of parliament and uh, he continues to serve as a reservoir of wisdom and experience for the institution. We understand that the prince remains uh, asymptomatic and uh, is currently in self-isolation at home for the mandatory period, and the presiding officers are pleased to learn that he remains in high spirits, and uh, they are confident that he will defeat this disease. South Africans are therefore urged to keep him and many others infected or affected by this virus to keep them in their prayers, so that they can conquer. South Africans are also urged to remain steadfast in combating the spread of the COVID-19 to continue to comply with all the regulations and safety protocols. Various political parties in Parliament have also extended best wishes. The DA Solimalaji and the UDM's Chief Whip is Nabayomzi Kwankwa. On behalf of the leadership of the Democratic Alliance, we wish Prince Mangosuchi Butelezi a speedy recovery from COVID-19 and hope that he will regain the strength that he needs in order to continue saving his party, the Ingata Freedom Party, and most importantly, South Africa, as he has done throughout his political career. The United Democratic Movement would like to take this opportunity to wish Undabezita Utata Uprince Mangusutubultelez a speedy recovery from the coronavirus. Now more than ever before, South Africa grapples with a plethora of challenges, needs strong leaders of integrity like him uh, to help us steer the South African ship towards the right direction. But more importantly, we need to be able to continue to draw from his wealth of knowledge expertise, experience, and wisdom as we continue to intensify and to further the fight for a better life for all South Africans. The Freedom Front Plus leader Peter Grunewald and COPE spokesperson Dennis Bloom have also extended their best wishes to the former IFP leader. Coronavirus is a dangerous enemy that nobody must undermine. It does not discriminate against anyone, rich or poor. The news of Prince Mangosutu Butelezi tested positive for coronavirus is once again a warning to all of us that no one is safe. We want to wish Prince Mangosutu Butelezi a speedy recovery. We keep him in our prayers and we wish him well. We also want to call upon everybody in the country to adhere and respect the lockdown regulations. We must do everything in our power to save lives. It is with a worry that I heard about Dr. Budelesi tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. Dr. Budelesi is older than 90 years old, therefore he's in a very vulnerable category for this virus. On behalf of the Freedom Front Plus, I wish him a speedy recovery and he can be assured that we will carry him in our prayers for a speedy recovery. In wishing him a speedy recovery, IFP Chief Whip Naren Singh says the party is confident that their caucus leader will win the fight against the coronavirus. As Chief Whip of the Encarta Freedom Party, and on behalf of caucus chairperson Honorable Kabekulu and all our members and admin team, I would like to wish Honorable Prince Mangusutu Butelezi, our caucus leader, everything of the best as he uh, recuperates having been tested positive for COVID. We know that he is a strong gentleman and that he will get over this and our best wishes go to him at this moment in time. 
The family has requested to be given space. They say they want to give the assurance that people will be kept informed of Prince Butelezi's progress and will advise when he is back in office. The family says the media is kindly requested to give them space during his self-isolation period. The former IFP leader will turn 92 years on the 27th of August. In an exclusive interview with SABC News in Parliament when he turned 92 years ago, he said he had been diabetic for more than 50 years and had to make lifestyle changes to beat the effects of diabetes. The family says a capable team will keep a close watch on him while he is in self-isolation. That report by Mercedes Percent. It's 7.30 and our headlines up next with Onelin Sinti. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Malawi has shot bars and churches and new restrictions to limit the alarming spread of COVID-19. This is three months after a court blocked the government from imposing a full lockdown. Large crowds have been demonstrating in the center of the Lebanese capital, Beirut, demanding accountability for an explosion that left 150 people dead. And police in Washington, D.C. say one teenager has been shot dead and about 20 others injured after gunmen opened fire on an outdoor social gathering. Channel African News, I am Onelin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Onele. With coronavirus wrapping its icy tentacles around the country, beating the initial sickness may be just the first of many battles. So much is still being learned about this pathogen and its long-term effects. Some recovered patients report side effects months after first becoming infected. Small-scale studies conducted in Hong Kong and Wuhan, China, show that survivors grapple with lung, heart and liver issues. Lerato Fekisi interviews some survivors who recount their ordeal. Initially, Pam Mabini viewed her testing positive for COVID-19 as a death sentence. Fearful and anxious, she was, however, determined to fight back. But nothing prepared her for the more than two weeks battle with COVID-19 symptoms. When she eventually recovered, she thought the storm was over. An excruciating pain in her lower back started, and every day it just got worse. Weeks later, Pam says she can still only sleep on her back. It's just a pain where it's like, I don't know how to put it, it's like uh, someone uh, punched me or I bumped into something or I fell with uh, my back. It's no longer that pain where... uh, I was uh, feeling uh, that pain that I was feeling before when I was positive. Now it's a different pain. It's a pain where I need to be, you know, um, massaged or rubbed and get um, with uh, those um, rubbing stuff. And uh, taking every night, I have to take painkillers. I don't think I'm able to sleep without uh, painkillers if the pain um, starts. For others, there are mental scars. 31-year-old Fezile Papu says life post-COVID has been devastating. The one thing that actually is the anxiety and heart palpitations and um, where I could, out of the blue basically, I could just feel that I'm just very anxious. And then um, I remember the day I went back to work and then I started wearing a mask. And I'm not sad we actually wear it work, I wear a cloth. So what happened was when I first wore it, um, I could then feel that my heart was um, beating very fast. And then um, panic attacks also happened like that. Post-COVID side effects differ from person to person. Each patient writes their own story about the impact of the virus. 52-year-old Natalie Roth says life post-COVID has been challenging, but not as complicated as it was when she had the virus. At the moment, I still have a bit of earache and a few sin- you know, a bit of sinusitis, and it comes and goes. But other than that, I'm a lot better. Psychologically, I think I'm pretty strong from my, my past experiences, but I know it can have a great toll on people in an emotional and psychological way. 
The novel coronavirus is still too new to know its long-term effects. Reports from doctors and patients, along with early studies, show that many don't return to normal after beating the disease. Psychologist Dr. Kempi van Rooyen says the physical complications post-COVID-19 could be linked to the emotional and psychological scarring caused by the virus. But when someone is, is really uh, uh, having a bad experience with COVID, and especially when they start feeling like I cannot breathe, or if they feel like I'm so bad that I, I'm worried that I'm going to die, you know, what, what happens to us when we have that level of anxiety or fear about, a, it can be about anything, but in this case about a disease, what happens is our body reacts in certain kinds of ways and we don't remember in the same way that we usually remember. It's what we usually speak about as traumatization, you know, as a memory that of something that was very, very threatening, which COVID can be, not always, but it can be. So in a sense, then, people afterwards are triggered by other responses, you know, so they might be um, seeing something and then all of a sudden they get these symptoms. So, for example, a lot of the people that I've seen, um, because they've been isolated and alone with their fear in their bedrooms, when they go back into their bedrooms, all of a sudden they develop shortness of breath, anxiety symptoms, feeling of weakness and those kinds of things. And and in terms of our normal understandings of how trauma works, that, that makes sense. It's not... It's not a re-emergence of, of the COVID. It is actually just an experience of uh, the body and the mind remembering and then producing physical and sensory sensations that kind of reminds the person of a time where they thought they might die. Dr. Tamtandeke Kamlashe says such complications differ from person to person and should they persist, people should consult their doctors. But COVID is psychological, it's emotional and it is physical. And the recovery from these three components that are affected in a human being take a little bit of time. Usually the focus and the anxiety is around physical recovery, which usually puts you in an ICU bed, in a hospital environment, in a doctor's couch. You know, that does. Of course, the issue of 14 days, that is the virus is cleared, doesn't mean that the symptoms will disappear. They will take time to disappear, and certain symptoms will last longer than other symptoms. We have spoken to a number of patients, and a lot of them complain that the muscle pains and the weakness tends to persist a little bit longer. When all the cough is gone and all the, uh, the issues around uh, sneezing are gone, the muscles pain. The muscles take time to recover, and this virus hits the muscles very hard. Is no research yet which shows whether health complications post-COVID will be lifetime or just short term. For many survivors, what is important is taking each day as it comes and being grateful for the gift of life. I'm Lerat Ofekisi in Port Elizabeth. It's 7.37 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary. Channel Africa. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int.
In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaka, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life, life by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. It's 7.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. 109 Boko Haram members who surrendered within the past two weeks have been handed over to Cameroon's authorities. They include fighters, women used as sex slaves and children. 106 of the fighters who surrendered to the multinational joint task force fighting Boko Haram are Nigerians and the three others are Cameroonians. General Ibrahim Manu Yusuf, the Nigerian commander of the forces fighting Boko Haram, has called on other fighters to surrender and be pardoned or be killed. Muki Kinzaga reports from Marua in northern Cameroon. 34-year-old Karim Kalga is among the 109 former militants at the base of the multinational joint task force in Cameroon's northern town of Mora. Kalga speaks in Kanuri a language widely spoken in northeastern Nigeria and parts of northern Cameroon. Kaga says he was living in poverty and found it very difficult to take care of his two wives and five children. He says fighters promised to give him a motorcycle he needed to transport farmers and raise money for his family needs and he could not resist joining Boko Haram. Kaga says while in a Boko Haram camp in Nigeria, he was instead forced to steal cattle and millet from surrounding villages and prepare to feed fighters. Kaga says he handed himself to the military because Boko Haram did not respect its promise of giving him a motorcycle. Kaga said his immediate request is to meet his wives and children he has not seen for two years. He said he would not be able to bear it if in his absence his family joined Boko Haram. Kaga is one of the Boko Haram militants, the multinational task force of the Lake Chad Basin that fights terrorism, says have surrendered within two weeks. The force made up of troops from Cameroon, Nigeria, Niger, Chad and Benin, says a hundred of the former militants are Nigerians. Among the Nigerians are 28 former male fighters and 17 former female fighters. There are also 16 women said to have been used as sex slaves and 45 children, some of them babies with unknown fathers. Major General Ibrahim Manu Yusuf the Nigerian-born commander of the multinational task force says the 106 Nigerians are all from Bono State, a Boko Haram stronghold. He says the militants surrendered and the fighters deposited their weapons after the troops led a campaign asking militants to surrender and be pardoned. Our job in the multinational joint task force is to create that condition that will encourage Boko Haram members to surrender to us because in all our countries uh, we've always opened this window to them and like you know success in counterinsurgency uh, operations is not judged by just the number of insurgents or terrorists that you are killing but it is also measured more importantly by the number of those that are surrendering defecting and by a reduction in the recruitment base of uh, the terrorists, which is exactly what we see increasing number of Boko Haram surrendering. What we have always done uh, in the conduct of our operations as professional armies, uh, we operate in accordance with the international law of armed conflict. 
we always open this window for those who wish to surrender. And why we are getting this increasing number is because of the way we treat them. Once you surrender, you denounce terrorism, insurgency, we treat you quite well up to when you are handed over to the National Commission for Disarmament, Demobilization and Reintegration. Yusuf said the governments of Cameroon and Nigeria will decide if the former militants will remain in Cameroon or go back to Nigeria. He said the militants will be trained and assisted to create jobs. The militants were handed over to the Cameroon Center for Disarmament, Demobilization and Reintegration. Its director, Omar Bishai, says he needs more resources to take care of the increasing number of militants at the center. Les difficultés, c'est le problème de la capacité d'accueil avec le travail qui se fait sur le terrain. He says the capacity of the center to receive former Boko Haram fighters has been overstretched. He says his wish is for the government of Cameroon to provide more lodging facilities and workers, especially psychosocial caregivers. He says the center also needs more workers that can train ex-fighters on arable farming techniques, fish farming, carpentry and cattle ranching. Ce centre en attendant la construction du site définitif de Meme que nous avons visité hier. The Mora Disarmament Center was created in 2019 for 100 ex-militants. It now hosts more than 250. Cameroon has promised to move it to a more conducive side. The 10-year-old Boko Haram violence has killed 30,000 people and displaced more than 3 million others in Cameroon, Nigeria, Niger, Chad and Benin, according to the United Nations. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Marwa, Cameroon. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one -on -one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. It's 7.48 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabisolo Hoku. Good morning. 
The World Bank has approved 114 million US dollars to help Nigeria tackle its coronavirus pandemic. The money comes in the form of a $100 million loan and a $14 million grant to be split between Nigeria's 36 states and federal level procurement of medical equipment, tests, and medicine. Africa's most populous country has recorded more than 45,000 confirmed coronavirus cases and 930 deaths. Gold miner Anglogold Ashanti says it will consider paying a higher annual dividend after reporting a more than 200% jump in first-half earnings. Anglogold, which has operations in Australia, Brazil and Tanzania, says its headline earnings per share for the six months ended June rose 234% to 97 South African cents against 29 cents a year earlier, despite output disruptions caused by COVID-19. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization climbed 59%. Botswana's rough diamond exports have plunged 68% in the second quarter of the year. This as the coronavirus pandemic hit demand while global travel restrictions hurt trading. In a bid to curb the spread of the virus, Botswana closed its borders in March, locking out international buyers from centers such as Mumbai, Antwerp. China, who traditionally traveled to Khaboroni to view and buy diamonds. The dross container industry in South Africa has been the hardest hit by the alcohol ban imposed by the country's government in order to curb high number of hospitalization as the country combats the COVID-19 pandemic. The industry warns that if the ban continues, there will be catastrophic consequences on livelihoods. The ban is the second of its kind. The first one was imposed in late March when the government declared hard lockdown restrictions. Managing Director at Isanti Dloss, Sheikhs Matiwasa, has more. Yeah, it's a, it's impacted on the business in the sense that uh, our business exists to supply largely the, uh, the alcohol industry. We make glass containers. Uh, for the alcohol industry. So if uh, with this alcohol ban uh, and there are no sales in the, by the alcohol uh, producers, that means that uh, we can't sell our glass uh, to them. And uh, it's basically a complete shutdown of our business as well as a supplier to the alcohol industry. Although the annual display of wildflowers in Namakwaland in South Africa's Northern Cape province is no less spectacular this year, there are no international tourists to witness the spectacle because of the coronavirus pandemic. A tour guide from the area, Ricardo Simon, says that the lockdown restrictions have affected the tourism industry in the area badly. The hospitality industry has taken a very big knock especially uh, here in this region because we're heavily dependent on on people visiting namakuland is in season it is flower season now and i think it's going to be one of the best uh, in a long while the u.s dollar is trading at 379.96 nigerian nara 11.53 botswana pula 107.14 kenyan shilling and 18.40 zambian guacha in BRICS currencies will start in brazil one u.s dollar costs a five roll 43 russia 73 rubles 64 in india 74 rupees 75 in china a dollar it's a changing hands at six u.n 96 and in south africa it will cost you 17 rand 62 the US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Gold is trading at $2,035. Platinum, $955 per ounce. Brent crude, $44.58 a barrel. Africa, your favorite channel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. 
That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or WhatsApp on plus 277-6300327 or tweet us at Channel Africa One. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is... Uh, Seven Seconds by Yusundo featuring Nana Shari. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity. 
an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective.